You're listening to DraftKings Network. Happy holidays to boys and girls listening. I hope you had a great holiday Christmas. Hope you're enjoying this wonderful week as we're between Christmas and New Year's and hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm Andrew Brandt. This is the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. And as per the timing, we're going to do our top 10, the top 10 business of sports stories that I found for 2023. We're going to count it down here on the podcast. I'll have a quick rant on Russell Wilson and what's going on there because people are asking for my insights there. But before that, I just want to thank everyone. Thank everyone for listening. This is a unique podcast. I hope you find it something that differentiated between all the other sports podcasts or any podcasts out there. Hope you enjoy my insight and perspective gleaned through 30 years of experience on the player side, on the team side, as an academician, as a writer, as a broadcaster. As a teacher, I'm trying to sort of make you smarter about sports, and I hope that's worked. If it does, please give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. Let me know. Always give me feedback. At, send to andrew at andrew-brandt.com. And, of course, I have my newsletter you can get to at andrew-brandt.com, my Sports Business League, which is something you just get a video of me every day talking about something. That's at sportsmusicsleague.com. So I just want to thank everyone for listening. Obviously, I thank my producer, Jack Connell, my musical producer, my son, Sam Brandt, and all of you for listening, and all the guests that have come on here and share their insights, industry leaders, talking about cutting-edge issues in sports. All right, just a moment of thanks. I wanted to get that out of the way. I wanted to say that as we end our 2023 year, this is obviously the last podcast of the year. Before we get to my top 10, let's talk about what happened with Russell Wilson. Big news in the NFL world this holiday week. News comes out of Denver that Russell Wilson is going to be benched for the last two games of the season. They're going to go with Jarrett Stidham instead of Russell Wilson. And before we get to what happens next, wow, what a big bet that Broncos made. A big bet in terms of a trade where they gave up multiple players and multiple first and second round picks. And then a big bet with the contract after the trade before he played in summer of 2022. They make this huge deal with Russell Wilson. More on that in a minute. But they went all in on the player. And there are stories of his first year with Nathaniel Hackett where he's got two lockers, where he's running the place, where they sort of gave up not only the trade and the contract, but gave up all control to him. And that change with Sean Payton coming in. But regardless, it didn't work. It's a major fail by the Broncos. And I think back to those one or two days in March of 2022, where it just seemed like this was going to go Aaron Rodgers way, right? They hired Nathaniel Hackett close to Rodgers. Rodgers pumps him up every time he's asked about him. Rodgers is unhappy in Green Bay, it seems, not really mollified after the year before he complained vigorously about the team and wasn't going to show up. Of course, he showed up. 
And all of a sudden, no, the Broncos aren't going in for Rodgers. Rodgers is re-upping in Green Bay. This is a year ago for a massive contract, which has put Green Bay in a big hole this year cap-wise. And lo and behold, the, the Broncos pivot to Russell Wilson, who has been unhappy in Seattle a year before that. I thought he would be traded the year before. So, by the, so to sum that up, 2021 was when we thought maybe Aaron Rodgers wouldn't be a Packer anymore and maybe Russell Wilson wouldn't be a Seahawk. They both played 21. And in 22, Wilson did get traded. Rodgers didn't. That didn't come till 23 with Rodgers. Anyway, now we get to the contract for Wilson. Wilson signed a massive deal, as I said, but it wasn't as strong as I thought it would or should be. And I've talked on the podcast here with Mark Rogers, the agent who did the deal. If you haven't listened to that, or if you have listened to it again in light of the circumstances now, the owners, the Walton family was watching every penny and they were constantly calling out the Deshaun Watson fully secured contract structure as an aberration seemed to be a theme for NFL owners, especially now a new one. And although Wilson got a good deal with three guaranteed years and a fourth with injury guarantees, it wasn't the structure of Watson. He had it set up on a plate for him and he couldn't get it. And because he couldn't get it, the contract continues to be an outlier of the John Watson deal. Okay. To sum this up, we're going to have an issue with Russell Wilson. Of course, he's not going to be a Bronco anymore. In March, he activates an injury guarantee into a full guarantee for 2025. So they want to get out from under him before that because then they have 2025 money. Forget about the injury guarantee for 25. That's meaningless. It converts to a full guarantee in 25 if he's on the roster in March 24. So he won't be because they know they're stuck in 24, but they're not going to be stuck in 25. So in 24, he's got 39 million. It's a 22 million guaranteed option. It's a $17 million salary. That's guaranteed with an offset. So if he goes somewhere else and if he's paid 10 million, they owe a 19 or 29 million. If he's paid 20 million, they owe 19 million. But he's not going to be paid 39 million. And people are suggesting he just takes minimum from his new team. He, you know, it just depends on the market. If there's more than one team, he can get more than that. But obviously the Broncos are on the hook. And then that's the cash side. Then there's the cap side. They went all in because of this guaranteed roster bonus. That's going to be prorated out. All this stacked proration of going all in on the Wilson contract. If they cut him or trade him before June, that's something like an $80 million uh, dead money charge, which is be a third of the salary cap. Now, I know some teams are up near that number, but that's combined multiple players. This would be one player. Now, if they put them on I, this um, this injury, the, this list that we're going to cut you in June, <laughs> then they can take half of They can take part of it in 2024, like 39 million. But the other 45 million is going to be in 2025 when he's a year removed from the team. He's going to have the highest cap number on the team by far in 2025. So there's no good way out of this with Capron. They screwed up. They went all in. They made a huge bet and they lost. So the Broncos. And then the last thing is the reporting is that the Broncos went to him weeks ago and said, hey, you better alter your contract or we're going to bench you. 
Well, they're benching him now, but they didn't bench him weeks ago. So again, I've been in this situation where I've gone to players for things like pay cuts. Now, if you say to the player, unless you take a haircut of a million or two million or whatever it is, we're going to have to release you. And then you don't, you lose all credibility. If the Broncos went to Wilson and said, hey, we need you to alter that guarantee structure or push it back so we can make some decisions next year. And he said no. And then you didn't bench him. I know they're doing it now, but they didn't weeks ago. You know how much credibility as a front office as a negotiator? So I would never do that unless you're really going to do it. And they really didn't do it. So it's a massive fail by the Broncos. Uh, they've had some rebound success in the second half of the season doesn't look good for the playoffs. And certainly it doesn't look good for their commitment to Russell Wilson, which will last. Now, Wilson does not have a fully guaranteed contract that 240 million or whatever it is goes out to 2028. He may not make it to 2024. And at best case, he makes it, he won't make it to 2025. So again, you know what I say all the time, these contracts are not what they appear to be. Don't believe the hype. Remember, in, in this coming March and every March, these deals are not what they appear to be. Even the guarantee numbers aren't because there are a lot of injury numbers in these guarantees, which are, you know, have no value. So I just need people to understand that. I shout it from the mountaintops every year. But the game between agents and the media to present the contract in most positive light always seems to win, no matter people like me fighting the machine on that. That's where we are. Okay, so Russell Wilson is a Bronco for two more weeks. He's going to be paid by the Broncos $39 million or somewhere close to that next year. He's not going to be paid by the Broncos in 2025, but he may be counting on their cap, $45 billion in 2025. Again, I say this all the time. Cash is cash. Cap is accounting, and accounting is backed up. So what you, when you talk about accounting in arrears, the cap doesn't forgive, but it just forgive it does it just penalizes late. So players are already gone from their teams and they're still counting. That's what dead money is. Dead money is charges for players no longer with the team. Wilson may have that. We've seen some huge dead money charges, 40 million plus for Matt Ryan and the Falcons last year and for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers this year. It's going to be a massive charge one way or the other. It's going to be uh off the charts, if they take all their hit this year, the Broncos in 24, or the, the splitting it between 24 and 25, it's going to be a massive charge either way. Again, when you go all in on a player, you better be all in on a player for years, especially a quarterback, not just that year or the next year. Years hasn't worked. Big fail. Okay, I had to get that in. Let's get to it. I'm going to give you what I see as the top 10 business of sports stories in 2023. No particular order, but take the order for what you will. These are the ones that sort of jumped out at me as I got going. Okay. Again, no particular order, but I may say number one just to keep track. Okay. Number one, June 6th, 2023, golf changed forever. We had been dealing with this upstart tour called the Live Tour, funded by the Saudi Public Investment Fund, which is worth $700 billion. That tour had poached players like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, 
Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Sergio Garcia, Bryce, and all these players had jumped ship for massive amounts of money. And it's a team concept. And the top players, Bubba Watson, another one, they get a share of the team if the team eventually sells like a sports franchise. So it's a good deal for them. And it's guaranteed money. And there are fights and fights and fights. Well, all the fights between Liv and the PGA, which I suggested way back, the PGA Tour should better be better off playing with them rather than playing against them. It happened. On June 6th, there was announced a merger to a yet-to-be-named entity that would encompass the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. This was massive news because the big kicker is funded by, and a right of first refusal for any other funder, the Public Investment Fund, the Saudi Public Investment Fund, that people get so up in arms about Saudi and sports washing. It's Listen, I don't get up in arms about them like it's there. And it's not starting with the Lyft Tour. It's in Formula One. It's in Premier League. It's in all kinds of things. And now the Qataris are in the NBA and NHL with an investment in Monumental Sports, which owns the Wizards and Capitals. It's there. So what I said at the time was the Saudis bought golf. And I still believe that to this day. They bought golf. Okay? There was a price. The PGA Tour was hemorrhaging in response to the Live Tour. They were upping their prize money. We weren't getting the investment from domestic backers, they thought. Now there are reports they're getting those things. Now there are reports the deal may fall apart. Live has their own tour for 24. So does the PGA Tour. Are they going to have a deal by the deadline in two days? I don't think so. Is they going to, Are they going to extend it? Maybe. But at the end of the day, this was the biggest story in sports business in 2023. The Live Tour basically bought the PGA Tour in a merger that has yet to be consummated. And my bigger point is that if the Saudis can buy golf and get their toehold in American sports, it's only going to increase. And with franchise values in these sports going into the three, four, five, six seven billion dollars there's only so many multi-billionaires where you're going to have to have investment from private equity from institutional money from sovereign wealth funds and maybe yes from something like the 700 billion dollar public investment fund in saudi arabia is it going to happen now no are they going to own teams sitting at the table with jerry jones and and jeffrey Lurie and robert Kraft? no but there may be investment where somebody else is the name owner and they need the investment. 15% of the team, 10% of the team, maybe up to 20% of the team from institutional corporate money, whether it's PE, whether it's hedge fund, whatever it is, that's happening. In my mind, that will happen. You know, the sanctity of sports, don't give me that. You know, there was a time where sports betting was taboo. How about that? There was a time where sports betting ads were taboo. There was a time where alcoholic ads were taboo. There was a time where, I don't know, just think of anything. Where stadium names, it was taboo to think about sponsor names for these stadiums. 
this is revenue that is not going to be unnoticed and untaken. Okay, I'm just saying that. So Saudis, I'm sorry, the Live Tour and PGA Tour merge into a yet to be named entity that's going to happen. It didn't happen yet. It may not happen. But this changed the sport of golf, and I think it's going to change American sports in general. The toehold is now there, and the the little creep of credibility is there, right? We don't think so negatively about Saudi money now. Sure, people are going to make the sports washing arguments, but I just think we're in a different time and place after the live PGA tour happened. That to me was the biggest story of 2023. Number two, Taylor and Travis. <laughs> okay. We can laugh about it. We can make jokes about it. We can show memes about it. But this was something the NFL and Taylor Swift fans or Swaylor Swift nation didn't expect, didn't plan on, but Hey, love is in the air. A romance between Jason, I'm sorry, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift energized two entities that certainly didn't need it, but it happened. The NFL, which has every demo basically, and is scoring 20 to 25 million viewers a weekend, almost 30 million per game on Christmas Day last the other day. They got Swifties. Now they get Swifties and they're all the memes of women talking to men about, Hey, you know, this guy, Travis Kelsey Taylor's making him famous. And it, it was cute. And, but people watch, people are watching the NFL with Taylor at the games who have no interest in the NFL. Imagine that there are demos out there that have zero interest in the NFL, but they tuned in because Taylor, because Travis, because romance, because, Hey, Taylor might show up or let me see this guy she's dating. That's happened. So, yeah, this is games against like the Jets and the Bears. And I mean, yeah, it was happening. So that's a huge story. And then from the Swift side, what do they have? They have all the women demos. But did they have hardcore football fan as a demo for Swifties? Yeah, no, I don't know how many turned over, but some. Some joined in. So two entities that needed no increased influence, increased uh, exposure, <laughs> they got it through this romance that is still going on to this day. And we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But the Travis Taylor Swelsey has made a dramatic business impact on the NFL and on Swift Nation. Because she already is affecting economies around the globe with her tour. And the NFL already affects economies around the globe with its presence. And now there's a merger. And I know we don't want to make love into a business merger. But from people perspective of someone like me that covers the business of sports, yeah. A boon for both. And not that either side needed it. But it happened. Okay, let's stay with celebrities and teams. The number three story from the business of sports in 2023 was the merger between Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. This one was foretold when Aaron came out of the darkness in February, literally. He found out a couple things. Number one, 
the Packers were kind of indifferent about his return. I This strikes me so deja vu because 15 years ago, Brett, we were just indifferent. You, you know, we were used to begging him to play, and then we kind of said, well, you know, it's up to you, whatever, because we knew we had Aaron Rodgers in the bullpen ready to go. Same thing this year, the Packers, 15 years later, the Packers were indifferent about Aaron because they knew they had Jordan Love ready to go in the bullpen. So Aaron felt that, just like Brett felt that 15 years ago. Brett retired, but only wanting to return later and got traded to the Jets. And lo and behold, so did Aaron. It took a long time. The Jets had telegraphed their interest. They flew out. They kissed the ring. They begged. They got their fan base titillated throughout February, March, and the trade finally happened. I said at the time, and I maintain the entire time, too much chagrin from others, the Packers are going to win this trade. Once Aaron said, I'm out, and there's only one suitor, there was only, which may be a bigger story than anything, there was only one suitor for Aaron Rodgers. The Packers played it well. They had the clock on their side. This idea that Aaron would show up in Green Bay and force their hand, no, he's not showing up. What's he going to do? Work out? Drop away? No, it's not. Aaron was not going to leave Southern California and show up in Green Bay in February. Okay, it just wasn't going to happen. This idea was was poppycock. And then, of course, what did they get? They got two high draft picks. It was going to be an upgrade to a one this year, but of course, he didn't make that requirement. Uh, so, two high second round picks. And more importantly, they offloaded $100 million, right? They gave him that huge contract last year, which had $58 million option this year, which is basically 110 over two after paying him $40 million, reasonable for him last year. And they offloaded it. Otherwise, they'd be stuck with it, right? They'd be stuck paying Aaron Rodgers. But they offloaded it to the Jets. It was later reduced by Aaron to $75 million. And they did this, the Packers did, all for a player who was never going to play for them again, who was uh, replaced three years prior and finally with an ascension. And a player who, you know, there was only one suitor. So Packers did well. And, you know, I'm, of course, I'm a Packers fan, but the, there's, a, uh, there's a young base there that bodes well for the future, primarily because of the quarterback. You know, back in 2008, the question with the team was not whether to make the playoffs or the record. It was, did they have the guy? And they did. We did. It was Aaron Rodgers. Now the question is, do we have the guy as a Packer fan? Yeah, we do. It's clear. It's enough. They've shown enough. It's Jordan Love. He may get in the playoffs. And he's having a better year than Aaron had last year in Green Bay. I mean, think about that. Okay. So... That's the number three story. Aaron to the Jets. Of course, it only lasted four plays. He's been a presence on that team despite sitting around in L.A., sitting in L.A. getting rehab. He's been on ESPN every week with his McAfee spot. He's been a broadcaster, you know, basically. Uh, he's been a $38 million broadcaster once a week commenting on the issues of the day, including the Jets, uh, world issues, vaccine issues, president, whatever he feels comfortable commenting on. And that's been his role more than being with the Jets this year. Um, so Aaron to the Jets, number three.
The number four, uh, I want to talk about contracts, number four, five, six. Let's talk about three contracts that stood out this year. One just happened a couple weeks ago. Let's talk about that. Major League Baseball, Dodgers, Shohei Otani, the most prominent, attractive, in-demand free agent in years perhaps ever in baseball. The wonder kid from Japan who pitched, who hit, had an injury, not going to pitch till 2025. Is that going to still get whatever the thought was, 500, 600, 700, 800 million dollars? Well, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> okay, so the Dodgers win the sweepstakes. We hear that. And then we hear the $700 million number. And it's like, whoa, wow. More than anyone thought, with or without an ability to pitch, $700 million. I mean, that one jumped off the charts. But then we hear about some deferrals. I'm like, okay, some deferrals. So maybe instead of making $70 million a year, one year is making 40 million, one year 50 million, maybe one year seven, 60 million. Well, we find out differently. 680 of that 700 million is deferred starting in 2034. Think about that. The next 10 years, Shohei Otani, the most attractive free agent in the history of baseball, is making $20 million, $2 million a year for the next two year, 10 years. From year 11 to year 20, he's making 680 million, 68 million a year from 234 to 243. Okay. It's the most unique contract I've ever seen. I've been around sports contracts for 30 years. I've never seen anything like that. People talk about deferrals in loving terms. They get excited about the Bobby Bonilla day every year where he's getting his $2 million payment. I try to tell people it's not what the player wants. I've tried to do deferrals. So many times as a Packer and the agents would always say, no, I don't want deferrals because money now is better than money later. And to the point, the valuation from Major League Baseball on this contract is $460 million, $46 million a year to be calculated along with the luxury tax payrolls in baseball, allowing the Dodgers to go out and sign other players, which they promptly did to another Japanese superstar. They gave $300 million in a completely different structure. Yoshibi Yamamoto now joins Otani with the Dodgers. Anyway, this is really a $460 million contract. Why is it put out as $700 million? Well, that's the number the agents want. And by the time people dive into the details like me, that number's out there. And it's always going to be out there when we talk about the biggest contract in baseball history. Media is always going to jump to $700 million, even though it's a $460 million contract which is an interesting way for CAA, the agents, to judge that or to put out that contract. The issue becomes taxes. So from years 11 through 20, when he's making $680 million contract, let's say he's living somewhere besides California, what's the tax impact? Well, I can only bet that CAA got the top tax accountants and tax lawyers together. And they said, yes, if you're living in Florida, if you're living in Japan, if you're living in Texas, you won't pay California taxes which again adds value to that contract of 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars. I would imagine California has their own tax attorneys that are going to say, and I would agree with this, that the money was earned in California and should be taxed in California. In other words, the fact Otani is only making 2 million a year next year is not how much he is earning next year. He's earning 70 million with 68 million paid in 10 years. So if I'm California tax attorney, 
I'm like, no, no, we got our right. We got our hooks in that money because the money is earned. Now, maybe the code says 10 years removed, it's retirement, whatever it is. And I'm sure CA and their tax attorneys have their own charge. But I'm wondering about that tax treatment. But certainly the most unique contract of the year, maybe the most unique contract ever. Shohei Otani is making 700 million, not over 10 years, only making 20 over 10, but 700 over 20. And I can only imagine in 2043 what it's going to be like to be sitting wherever he's sitting in long retirement, getting a $68 million check. Okay. The other, I, I want to talk about another contract, number five, the Jalen Brown contract. This really brings up the, uh, the other uh, half of this story, which is the CBA and the NBA was resolved this year. And it has a lot of issues and it has different issues about second apron, meaning luxury taxes and more restrictive luxury taxes over a certain amount, in addition to having a cap. But it also has this ability for extension players to get bigger extension percentages of the cap than before. Okay. So up until this year, the say the percentage of the cap uh, increases would be 20, 25, 30%. This year, it's I'm just making this up because I don't have the exact numbers. So it's 35, 40, 45%, which really brings us to Jalen Brown, who was up for an extension with the Celtics. And he leveraged the new CBA into the biggest contract in NBA history, right? The biggest contract in NBA history, 300 plus million dollars for Jalen Brown. Now, Jalen Brown is a very good player, but as anyone would say, he's not the best player on his own team. He's not one of the top 5, 10, 15, 20 players in the NBA, yet he has the biggest contract. Uh, it's a product of the new CBA. There are going to be some casualties of it going forward when some of these <coughs> restrictions hit. But as for the present, Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics becomes a business of sports hall of famer no matter what he does after this because that is a stunning contract of uh, five years over 300 million over 60 million dollar average and it hasn't even kicked in yet hasn't even kicked in yet because the way extensions work in basketball is you play out the remaining years then it kicks in it's fine because it's all guaranteed in football without future guarantees it's all mixed in with what's ever left on the contract so you sign a five-year extension with two years left like Russell Wilson did. It's a seven-year deal, but it kicks in right away with a big bonus and everything thrown in there. Okay, the contract I want to talk about in football is Lamar Jackson. This was a long-running negotiation. It took years to do. It finally was done. And we heard about Jalen Hurts getting 250, and we heard about Burrow and Herbert getting 250. Uh, this is the one that's really 250 or $260 million. 260 million, 52 a year, because Jackson's the only one with a true five years. Hertz had a year left. So just like I talked about with extensions, that's really a six-year deal. Burrow and Herbert have two years left. So really that's seven-year deals. So the extension years, you can say what you want, but the full deals come out for those deals of 41, 42, 43 million a year, which nothing wrong with that, nothing to sneeze at. But Jackson gets the best deal at $52 million a year because he's coming off a franchise tag. Now, it took a long time to get, but even with the time it took to get, he is going to outpace someone like Josh Allen, who did the deal two years ago, over five years. And he'll only have three years of new deal money. 
that's how strong it is. It's 80 million this year, the strongest deal in the NF in, in a one year earnings ever, 80 million. And I believe it's 156 over three, something like that. Um, which is, again, strong deal. The one thing it didn't get, which he wanted, which I suggested would be the sticking point is the full guarantee. Now he's got a five-year deal. I think it has three fully guaranteed years. Um, so it's getting there. But again, he didn't get the Watson. Watson becomes the outlier. Steve Bishotta, the owner of the Ravens, shouted it out basically at the beginning with this whole thing started with Watson's deal in early 2022. Um, Anyway, but it's a great deal. And kudos to Lamar Jackson without an agent, getting $52 million a year, getting the best deal out there besides Watson, uh, and having an MVP year to back it up. So there's a bet, unlike Wilson, <laughs> there's a bet for the Ravens that has actually worked out. Okay, the next uh, number six, that was number six, the seventh is franchise sales business sports story of the year <clears throat> we start with the commanders i mean the long-running daniel snyder don't call him mr snyder and his treatment of people and his lawsuits well he gets the biggest price in the history of team sports in america a 6.05 billion it was a long and involved process because the number is so big as i said we're running out of multi-billionaires josh harris who owns the sixers who owns the new jersey devils he could put forward <coughs> one third of the price, which he had to do 1.8 billion. He's got that lying around, but he certainly doesn't have 6 billion lying around. So he's got 30 other institution or investment and partners. And I've told this story many times. I'll tell it again. A friend of mine got the prospectus from the Harris group. Do you want to join? And the guy called me and said, basically you want about a hundred million or more just to be, just to get some good tickets. That's what you get. You know, that's what these prices are, sure. And 100 million is nothing in a 6 billion price tag. That doesn't get anything. Anyway, it happened. And on the way out, Snyder is fined $60 million, but he's gone. And that day, I remember in August, these owners like Jared Jones had huge smiles on their face with finding out number one, they had rid themselves of the stain and the stench and the stink of Daniel Snyder. And number two, they just had a team sell for $6 billion. Imagine whatever you are, the team's value went up. That's great. So Snyder is out and the franchise price is through the roof. What a great time to be an NFL owner with a team-friendly CBA with media deals for $110 billion that kicked in this year over the next 10 years. Okay. The other franchise sale is part of this number six is the Mavericks where Mark Cuban is getting out, but there's a lot involved with that. He's getting out, but for a retaining full control. Mark Cuban is selling the Dallas Mavericks to the Adelson family, Miriam Adelson, the widow of Sheldon Adelson, the magnate from Vegas that started the Sands worth $32 billion. Well, the Adelsons are getting in and they're getting into Texas, which by the way, is one of the major states that does not have legalized sports betting. We all expect that will come. And when it does, we expect the Adelsons will be at the front of the line using their products, the Sands products, as the entryway into gambling in Texas. Cuban sees that. He allows that to happen. He gets the massive payoff and he gets to keep doing what he wants to do. 
He's leaving Shark Tank, but he's going to run the maps like he enjoys. He obviously has a, has a great passion for that. So Cuban's getting the money. Now, the valuation, $3.5 billion, is a, is a great valuation. But the last sale was $4 billion for the um, Matt Ishbia with the Phoenix Suns. So basically, you got to have a half a billion dollar control discount. Mark Cuban takes a half billion dollar control discount. Is that worth it to him? Sure. I don't know how much the team he owns, but he's walking away with billions of dollars and he runs the team. That's a great deal. And Cuban, who is a great deal maker, we see that on Shark Tank every week. Got a great one there. Okay. Number seven. That was number seven. Number eight. Let's talk about another franchise that went belly up with this investment. The New York Mets. The New York Mets spent a payroll of $345 million this year. Extraordinary. And if you add in luxury taxes, it was over $400 million. They didn't make the playoffs. They were out. Spending does not equal winning. And that was proven no better than the New York Mets this year. Steve Cohen has been talked about in baseball circles as the Cohen tax because he just doesn't care. He goes way above the luxury thresholds and he spends. And he had the two highest paid players, both pitchers, $43.6 million a year, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And by the end of the season, they're gone. And it became a sell-off. So we talk about spending in sports and these leagues without a salary cap like baseball and ownership and small market versus big market and inequities in paying players and spending. Well, here we had, we had the Mets going crazy. This was the year of the Mets in terms of their offseason, but it didn't translate to the season. The Mets were an abject disaster compared to their spending. Spending does not equal winning. Sometimes we forget that. And again, we've seen it in football with the Washington Commanders who won the, <clears throat> the offseason so many years. Okay, you've got to draft, you've got to develop, you've got to be organizationally sound. Good management wins over good spending, and Steve Cohn proved that. Now, he's got more money. He doesn't care, right? But he sold it off, and it's going to be a new strategy with the Mets. Again, baseball had the Arizona Diamondbacks in the World Series. Baseball had some teams like the Orioles, twins with low payrolls, do well. That's great. I just don't think it's sustainable without a cap, but... Major League Baseball players are going to fight a cap despite the cap being a mechanism that would force low-revenue teams to spend. Major League Baseball Players Association more worried about the uh, the top teams being able to spend liberally rather than the low-spending teams having to come up to a floor. That's just where we are. But what a flop the Mets were in terms of spending and the uh, correlation to winning. Okay, number nine. Back to the NFL, the running back dystopia, that happened this year. <laughs> it was, um, it started, you know, when Ezekiel Elliott was cut. Dalvin Cook was cut. These are two of the best backs in the last five years in the NFL, cut. They both end up on other teams, Elliott with the Patriots, uh, Cook with the Jets, and they both have reduced roles and reduced money. Don't believe the hype that they got three, four, five million dollars. They got like a million each with a bunch of incentives. And Cook isn't happy, and you know where that's gone. Leonard Fournette was cut. Well, he just signed. He's kind of a backup. Uh, Austin Eckler, one of the best backs in the last couple of years, makes noise about a new contract in Sandy and L.A. Chargers, the crickets by the team. They don't do anything. 
He may not be on the team next year. Um, the three franchise tag backs, Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, none had serious negotiations about a long-term contract. Barkley came to camp with his hat in his hand, got a few incentives. That's all. Um, yeah. I mean, let me be clear. This is not – running backs are devalued, of course, but they're not devalued in their early years, right? You just reach a certain age and you have no value as a running back because you can find younger, more dynamic, and more importantly, cheaper running backs. I don't have a huge problem with the Falcons and Lions taking backs in the top 12 of the draft, but I know in four or five years, they're not going to give them new contracts because the dynamism they're showing, the electricity these players are showing is going to be faded by them. And these running backs are so disadvantaged by this three-year draft eligibility rule. I keep talking about this. <clears throat> they're the highest productive years for running backs. They should be making big money, but they can't. They're more affected by that than any other position. So running backs are screwed. Um, there was some hope late in the year that Jonathan Taylor got a deal. Averages out to about 10, 11 million a year. That just shows you where running backs are. Top dollar for running back is about 11 million a year, which is about uh, less than half of top dollar for receivers about a third of top dollar for defensive linemen and about a quarter of top dollar for quarterbacks. That just shows where running backs are. Yes, McCaffrey's an outlier, but it's hard to find many more, especially those not in rookie contracts. Running backs are the gymnasts of the NFL. They're the shortest shelf life. Their career is basically over in terms of high earning capacity by their mid-20s. And the last business of sports story of the year I just think is back to franchises Buffalo Bills and Tennessee Titans up until the Buffalo Bills the best deal in the history of the business of sports was the Raiders who got the state of Nevada to pay 750 million dollars as a stadium subsidy to get that built on the strip of Vegas that was amazing well Bills topped that the Buffalo Bills are getting 600 million from the state of New York and 250 million from Erie County to build their new stadium. That's a total of 850 million of public money for ownership that is worth billions of dollars. Not to be outdone, the Tennessee Titans are getting 1.26 billion from the city of Nashville and the state of Tennessee to build their new stadium for the Tennessee Titans. And this is for ownership worth billions of dollars. Why is this happening? Well, these municipalities, governors, state officials cannot say no. And there is this implied threat by the team that's never verbalized that, oh, my God, they could go somewhere else. Where's Buffalo going to go? Where's Tennessee going to go? Are they going to go to San Diego? Are they going to go to St. Louis, Austin, Toronto? They're not going anywhere. L.A.'s taken. Vegas is taken. Those can't be used as stalking horses anymore. And the next one is Jacksonville, who wants half a billion dollars. We're going to see <coughs> what goes on here. But this is my saying, privatized profit, socialized cost. The owners, especially NFL owners, do this better than anyone. It's not only NFL owners. The Oakland A's are going to join the Raiders in Vegas, and they're going to get half a billion dollars. The Milwaukee Brewers just got half a billion dollars for upgrades on their stadium. Now, again, some municipalities say no. 
Stan Kroenke built SoFi Stadium, that wonderful, beautiful building in L.A. by himself. But most of the time they say yes. And again, this perceived threat that New York Governor Kathy Hockle was concerned about the Bills leaving. They're not going to leave. <laughs> but it's a great game that, that, again, these are two of the best deals in the history of the business of sports. Forget about player deals. Owners getting hundreds of millions of dollars in the case of the Titans, one and one and one and a quarter billion dollars are you kidding me anyway there you have it the top 10 business of sports stories in 2023 as brought to you by me someone that sort of follows this stuff more than any human should uh but there you have it it's going to be a great year and there's going to be more stories so i'll be bringing you my insights my perspective my differentiated analysis every week Please join in, uh, read my newsletter, listen to my podcasts. I'll try to give you even more. And maybe I'll have some other new exciting things in the year to come that I'm thinking about doing that I hope you get on board with. Again, thanks to you for listening. Any feedbacks, welcome, Andrew at andrew-brandt.com, sportsbusinessleague.com, andrew-brandt.com for the newsletter for not getting that every week. Of course, my columns on Sports Illustrated. And I'm back to teaching next week in Miami, then back to Villanova. So you can always find me wherever you need to find me. Have a great New Year's and let's make 2024 the best year ever. Thanks to Jack Connell. Thanks to my son, Sam Brandt, my musical producer. And thanks again to you for listening. Have a great New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I'll see you next week on the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.